Hello and welcome to Business Without Bullshit. I'm Philippa Sturt and alongside me is my co-host Simon Walsh. Hi Philippa. Hi Simon. And today we're joined by William Wadsworth. Hi William. Hi there. Hello William. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I've been looking forward to this. Good. Um, So exam study expert, your company. Do you want to tell us a bit about it and what it's doing at the moment? Sure. So it was founded about three and a half years ago with the aim of helping students study smarter, not necessarily harder, uh, making life easier when you're preparing for exams. Um, For us, the definition of student is pretty broad and it encompasses everything from school through university, uh, right through to professional, taking professional exams like CMAs, CFAs, if you're in finance or if you're taking um, medicine exams as part of your career in medicine. So you will will go for... Any exams you could possibly name. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Law, law exams. Law for exams, example. for sure, for sure. Accountancy yeah. exams. Yeah, absolutely. Ta- tax exams. Apparently, they're very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've, I've talked to, to several clients about their CMAs and CFAs, and there's certainly quite a bit to figure out by the sounds of it. Yeah. So you're you're teaching them techniques rather than the kind of subject, if you like. Exactly. So I'm a psychologist by background, and it was a source of immense frustration that deep into my second year at Cambridge reading psychology, we had a sort of solitary lecture tucked away that basically explained, oh, guys, this is how learning works. This is how you get knowledge to stick in memory. They might have wanted to tell you that earlier. I was just going to say, wouldn't thought. you think that they would be very useful at uh, on orientation? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> or, or even before. Like, I'd spent years working hard for my GCSEs, my A-levels, first couple of years at university, and then you tell me what I was supposed to be doing all that time. It's quite frustrating. Better late than never, I suppose. Right. Things are starting to change. Some schools are starting, some pioneer schools are starting to get a little bit better at teaching this stuff. But it's hard to teach. Um, It's hard to get people to change their behaviours. And frankly, like most schools still aren't doing a particularly uh, good job of kind of engaging with the science and how to apply it well. So there's a huge opportunity to help people, you know, use these techniques and make their lives easier. So do you you sort of market to schools? Do you go into schools and tell the students... Yeah. How yeah. to study. So that's one of the things we do. That's one of the big three things we do, I think. Um, so going into schools and offering workshops uh, for, for students, uh, as well as for teaching staff, actually. So we talk to, uh, I'll talk to teachers as well um, and, and deliver uh, some professional development uh, training uh, on the science of learning. William, take us back to your year two Cambridge lecture where you realised that there was this other memory thing and I mean did you leave Cambridge and then go straight into business or so when was your light bulb moment I guess in relation to uh, exam study expert <laughs> and it's really interesting there's sort of there's sort of a, a, a twin twin paths running through um, you know my life and kind of retrospect one is interest in this exam study stuff and and the other being interested in entrepreneurship like even back at school, after taking my GCSEs, I remember sitting down over the summer holidays and there's a Word document floating around somewhere. I was starting to type up some thoughts for a book on how to study for exams. And the, the stuff I was writing at that point was, was, was hopeless and I'm very <laughs> pleased it never saw the light of day. Um, but, you know, 15 years later, something along those lines turned into like, the very first thing I ever did for so Exam Study Expert. you'd already got the idea? I'd already got the, the kind of germ of, like, I wanted to teach this or talk about it. I, d- I just didn't really know what to teach at that point. <laughs> Is that why you went into 
And read psychology, or was it... Partly, yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's partly, partly, for sure. The other thing I was quite into as a teenager was, was entrepreneurship. So I don't know if you or any of your listeners have heard of the, the Young Enterprise Organisation. It's, um, it's a big business competition for, for school-aged kids. There's sort of several thousand companies of, of school children uh, enter every year. And in my year, 2007, uh, we won the overall thing. So we won the national finals. It was a team so it was 10, 10, 12 Did of you us. have to come up with a company? Yeah, exactly. So you, you, you form a company, you, you run it for a year, and you, know, you, you make real money from real customers. Well, that's the idea what anyway. So we, uh, our company was called Force 7, and the main thing we did was uh, produce an information pack about William Wilberforce. It was the Bicentine. Oh, the fantastic. Of slavery. I'd never have got that from Force 7. Well, <laughs> we also did quite a lot of other things, so it was deliberately slightly vague. <laughs> yeah. You'd envisage a conglomerate long before you yeah, even yeah, yeah. had a f- your first idea. Exactly, uh, very much. It doesn't feel like something that's going to make you loads of money. Well, we, we I mean, we've sold, uh, like, I think, about 12,000 copies to oh. Hull City Council um, oh, okay. to, to put out to, you know, mm. they gave one to every, I think, primary school age kid in the, in the city um, as part of celebrating the, and marking the, the, the bicentenary. William Wilberforce, of course, being a child of, child of Hull. Yes. Um, that's, that's his hometown. That's where we were. Uh, so that was the big thing we did. And we did a few other little bits and bobs as, as well along the way. But yeah, that kind of really gave me the bug for, for entrepreneurship as well. Um, I mean, I didn't go straight into entrepreneurship out of Cambridge. I had seven years as a strategy consultant. So yeah, so that was going to be the next question, which is what was your first proper job? Right. Strategy consultant. Strategy consultant. Don't hold that against me. What the hell is a strategy consultant when it's at home? <laughs> and what were you consulting on? <laughs> strategy consultancy is all about helping get the big decisions right in, in business. Did you get headhunted out of Cambridge? I didn't get headhunted for my first job, but I got headhunted for a move and then another move. So I, I moved a couple of, uh, three, three roles in total and, and, and both the subsequent moves were, were headhunted. I was, I was quite lucky, actually. So I, the, the industry I, I kind of fell into a, a little bit by accident, a little bit out of, it seemed cool and I was interested in it, was, was media, so broadcast media in particular. So some of the things I was working on as an independent consultant were things like, you heard of BritBox? Uh, I yeah. have, yes. The BBC yeah. ITV collaboration. Yeah. So that was, for a very brief time, sort of very early in its, its gestation of that project, that was, that was sort of my baby more than anyone else's. That was, it's been quite cool to see that emerge into the real world subsequently. You're not responsible for the name. No, we didn't have the name back then. <laughs> and I ended up working at Sky. That was my final role in, in group strategy uh, in-house at, at Sky. And uh, I was involved in things like bidding for Premier League rights um, and doing a deal with Netflix to put Netflix on the box, as we said. So, How, how long ago was that as a matter of interest? I'm just... Uh, so I left Sky, oh, well, three and a half years ago. So, okay, so I left, so most of my Sky days were like 2017, 2018. Yeah, okay, okay. It's roughly when I, I finally left Sky. Oh, were you there too? <laughs> no, no, as in oh, I see. using it. <laughs> um, I, oh, when I moved house. What did I do? Was yeah. it something no, I said? <laughs> when I moved house, I cancelled my Sky subscription, right? And then sort of two years later, I discovered that they'd still been charging me for broadband for like two years. And it was kind of like about six grand or something ridiculous. And I rang them up as the only time my kind of slightly acerbic nature has been of benefit to me. Because I rang them up and said, you've been charging me. And they were like, oh, no, no, you only cancelled your TV. You didn't cancel the broadband. I'm like, pretty sure I did. I'm like, hang on, let's look look at the notes on the file. And then they read me out the note on the file, which said... Customer says she never wants to have anything to do with Sky again because she hates Rupert Murdoch. 
<laughs> he was like brutal. Oh right, so yeah, you probably did cancel both. It looks like, <laughs> and they reimbursed me. Here's my me. check. Here's your check for six grand. <laughs> I'm struggling with the fact that it took you two years to realise that you'd lost six grand out I'm of your account. Good at, good at numbers, as you well know. But yes, so you were at Sky. What precipitated the whole? Because obviously you'd had that that lecture that you really yeah. enjoyed. One lecture. Yeah. What precipitated the change? What made you go sod this for a game of soldiers? I'm going to be an entrepreneur. So, I mean, the first thing I'd say, like, it wasn't a push at all. Like, I love, I love working at Sky. I love the team I was in. It was interesting, varied, intellectual work with great colleagues. Like, it was going well, being paid pretty well. Like, yeah. you know, prestigious role. Like, there's a lot going for it, and I was in many ways very happy. But I had these kind of twin itches to scratch. One, that I felt the world was rubbish at revising for exams, and I thought I had some answers that, I, that could help solve this pretty significant problem. And two, that entrepreneurial street whereby, you know, I'd, as much as I loved working for these other companies, like I wanted to spend some time building my dream and not working somebody for somebody else. Somebody else, yeah. 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 Um, and I think the thing that changed was finally getting up the confidence that I could just start a business and learning about and it was primarily through podcast actually like if you really want to trace it back it was my boss's fault that I ended up quitting Sky <laughs> um, <laughs> not because he did anything boss. wrong he was fantastic shout out to Nick if you're ever listening um, but he advised us to go listen to a podcast and it was um, Carl Newport on Deep Work yeah. um, uh, and he was wanting us to, to kind of take some of these lessons it was really interesting and uh, you know that basically opened this Pandora's box of podcasting that was my first ever podcast and that ultimately led me to all these wonderful entrepreneurial podcasts, um, of which we're on a fine example today, of course. Thank you, uh, And um, uh, yeah, and like I spent like a year just binging this stuff and immersing myself in the stories of other entrepreneurs and figuring out how they'd done it and perhaps what I could do myself and getting up the confidence. Initially, I tried to dabble alongside my full-time job and do the, the kind of side hustle thing, as they say, but outside of career and strategy consulting, it's, it was, it was, I just didn't have the time or the energy, frankly. So that, that was pretty frustrating. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to go all in, leave the job. I backed myself that I could get another job if it all went down the pan. And uh, yeah, just give my, I had runway in the you know, form of cash in the bank for a, you know, a year or two. Like, let's just give myself this shot. So that's, that's what I did. Would you say there's something you've done that's been a bit of a failure and have you learned from it? It's a really interesting question. I, I think certainly it was a patch about six to 18 months into this journey where there were frequent moments, I think, like failure is quite a strong word, but I didn't feel like a failure, but I felt like... Something went wrong. This just isn't... I wouldn't say, like, it just hasn't gone right yet, yeah. <laughs> okay? okay. Um, so, you know, I was starting pretty much from scratch, you know, ground zero, no clients, no income, no traffic, no, like, no nothing, you know? And it takes a bit of time to... To, to get something like that off the, off the ground. And it was, yeah, probably slower, a slower process than I should have fantasized about. But, you know, it, and, and COVID didn't help, exams being cancelled, you know, that wasn't a great context for, for starting the, the line of work I was going into. But, you know, we made it work and, you know, we got through that and sort of by 18 months or so in, things were starting to click into place, starting to get a bit of momentum. You know, I think a couple of years in, was feeling feeling pretty confident and, you know, it's just continued to, to kind of snowball from there. Like, so in terms of specific things that you might kind of brand a failure, like 
looking back, I don't look at many of the things I did and think, oh, that was a that was a failure because so many of them led to what I had to do those things in order to get to the thing that worked, or I had to do it for a bit and then get the disappointing results, and then you know, just by virtue of it being out there, it might, you know, start to get a bit of momentum and you think, oh, actually there might be something here. And, you know, what if I put a new cover on this book and like release the paperback, you know, then it starts to, oh yeah, no, it's doing well. Let me kind of upgrade the content and get a few more reviews in. Oh yeah, now it's really starting to, you know, so you just kind of gradually build things up, even if it doesn't feel like the success you want at first. You know, so often, I think most of the things I'm doing today, there were points where I thought, oh, this is not really working, is it? Um, But they've kind of, just, you know, maybe I've put them on the back burner for a bit and they've just sort of sat there and maybe grown a bit until it comes to the point where you think, oh yeah, no, that is actually quite interesting and you put a bit more love in and they start to do better. What what do you think's most misunderstood about about your business, about what you do? I mean, I, like the, I've got a bugbear that some of my friends and family think I'm basically a tutor and they go, oh, you know, <laughs> how's, the tu- yeah. how's the tutoring business going? <laughs> It's when people endorse you on LinkedIn for things that you've never done. You're like, you, I'm not doing a good job of explaining what I do. So, so, so if if you don't want them to think of you as a tutor, how would you prefer them to think of you as an entrepreneur? What's the bugbear about? Well, I suppose it's that the, the one-on-one stuff is part of what I do, yeah. but at most it's like half a day to a day a week yeah. of, okay. of my week. Yeah. The rest of it is... You know, doing the podcast, doing the blog, yeah. um, speaking in schools. I do a lot of research as well, so I go out and run big studies on this on this stuff. So, um, have you developed some holistic term to describe all of that? Because this is what you need to do. If if people just think tutor, then you've got to go. Okay, what's another word I can use to describe? Yeah, but it's going to be something do? terrible like learning coach, and no, then you'll no, just no, have no, to no, shoot no, yourself. No, 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 no. We can we we can brainstorm this. We can find something very creative. We we'll spend all just... day brainstorming names. Okay. It's not going to get better. <laughs> Hang on. Right, let me run my let me run my usual elevator one liner okay. past you, Simon, and, and let me know what you think. So okay. I, I normally people say, you know, what do you do, William? And I'll say, oh yeah, I'm a memory psychologist and study skills expert, and I help students study smarter for their exams. Yeah. That sounds perfect. And the way I help them if they dig deeper, you know, <laughs> is through coaching and speaking yeah. and the podcast and the blog. Yeah. So what's really interesting in how you've described yourself is I would never have gone tutor from exactly what you've said. So clearly your family and friends have a preconceived <laughs> idea about maybe what they wanted you to think. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the easiest thing because like I haven't stepped into this world of people that do the same thing as I pretty much, and you know, I sort of invented this job. Are like, there I, other people out there that do what you do? Have yeah, you found yeah, other there's people? Yeah, there's a couple. Um, like, I came across this guy in Singapore, like, he's doing similar stuff. And okay, but not around the corner in, you the, know. There, there's, a, there's another, uh, there's another woman in, a sort of ex-teacher in the UK that does sort of similar kinds of things, but yeah, a very different approach and different business model. How do, how do you get clients? What's the biggest way? For the one-on-one stuff, it's more or less equally split between the podcast Mm-hmm. And good old SEO, so search engine optimization. Okay. Um, that the, the the search engine stuff was the first thing that started getting the business off the ground. That was the first thing I learned. That was the main thing I learned in year one. It's how to get stuff found in Google, and it's how I win an awful lot of my one-on-one clients. It's how I win most of my new school clients these days. They're just googling for what I do, um, and it's also what generates quite a lot of sort of passive income, just because the people are looking for my. Yeah, answers to their questions and they find yeah. my blog articles. Yeah. What's the hardest thing about what you do? Again, I think it's interesting because it sort of evolved over time. Like, you know, again, that year one, that, that was just all about, well, I got no one paying any attention to me. I've got no audience. And the solution to that problem was, was the SEO stuff, getting good at SEO. 
year two, it was kind of about, well, I've got some people now, but they're not buying much. And like, so that meant getting good at copywriting. And so writing sales copy that actually got people to take action and buy some stuff. I think now I would say my main problem, if you like, I don't love the word problem for some reason. It doesn't feel like a problem. Challenge. It feels like a, yeah, it feels like the next you know, interesting thing yeah. I'm sort of yeah. solving is the fact that my bandwidth is, is limited. So kind of back to that scalability yeah. thing. Um, and what can, I, what can I do about that? So uh, the, the blog editor has been working really nicely for the blog side of things. You know, I'm actively out recruiting for a couple of other um, sort of part-time positions to help with other, other bits of the business um, as, as we speak. Would you ever recruit another psychologist to do what you do? Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. And I think part of the drive for that would be, you know, I'm increasingly recognising that there are some sort of opportunities, be it talking in schools or certain one-on-one clients, that I could very easily see there being someone else who is better than me better place than me to, to deliver it. So, I mean, I'll give you an example. In the past sort of six months, I've started to get a lot of inquiries from quite difficult school environments. So struggling schools where there isn't very much engagement with learning at all. And like, I can deliver something for that kind of environment and I can kind of come in and do my thing. And like, I've got some ideas that'll help with that, but actually I'm not really what you want. I'm not really the best person to resonate with yeah. that kind of student and get them excited just in the idea of learning in the first place. You know, I tend to excel when you're already at least a little bit interested in learning yeah. and you want to know how to do it most effectively. Um, so I can see there are other people that might be better placed to, to kind of get that message across. What are you most excited about? Well, actually, hiring is one thing I'm really so like rare excited about. I know some really? people You'll feel be excited until you really want to kill yourself about it. <laughs> Why would I want to kill myself? <laughs> hiring right now is quite odd. One of the little things I've always really enjoyed in kind of pretty much everything I've done, like all through my strategy career, was yeah, I like growing and managing teams, and like I always loved getting involved in the recruitment side of things. I always loved when I started to move into more senior positions and manage team mates under me, like I always went out of my way to be to be really good at that. And it, and it worked and people, you know, responded to that and, and recognised me for that. But I, but I think too on that point, Pippa, is that I think for me, for an entrepreneur, one of the biggest steps you can take is actually hiring your first employees. So it actually recognises or it's a significant milestone, I think, in yeah. any kind of growing business. So, you know, even though I agree it's an incredibly tough market out there, but still... I can understand why you're excited about it. But it's also taking on responsibility yeah, for somebody. Yeah, yeah. So it's acknowledging that you have a sufficient business that you can look after somebody else's welfare as well as your own. Which, which I find really cool. I, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I've, I've You've been, got a double whammy, new child and uh, yeah. potentially <laughs> it's new quite employee. Scary. Do you not find it scary at all? It's not scary because, for two reasons, I don't push... I don't push it too far too soon. So I'm not hiring what I really want because what I really want is, is, is several people full-time. There's different things. You know, I've got it all planned out, but I just can't afford that. I can't afford that to many people now. So I'm cutting my cloth accordingly. I know what part-time roles I want right now that will give the most value. And then I will add more as the company allows. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, the other reason it's not scary is the way I kind of engage people. So... The, the blog editor is a great example of that. We started out, she did, I think maybe like four or five hours a week to start with, just like really dipped toe in the water. Um, and as the blog grew and as the ad income grew, it made sense to, to kind of scale up and scale up her time. And, and now our arrangement is 
you do as much as you want. <laughs> you do as much as you've got time for. Like if you've got other stuff going on, you can have a week off. If you want to go have a full-time week, you have a full-time week. And that works really well for her and works really well for, for me because there's no, there's never any publishing deadlines or anything. We put articles up when they're ready. It's great. And, and so I want to take a similar approach with new hires as well. It starts on, you know, on the kind of lighter side and, you know, as, as business grows and as it works, we, we do more. And if it's not working, we'll kind of back off. Best piece of advice you've ever been given? Sell your value before you create it. Hang on, let me think about that one. Sell your value before you create it. Yeah, it's genius. I'm not sure I get it. <laughs> so translation yeah. uh, and credit. Um, translation, don't make the thing unless you've got at least orders, if not actual cash in the bank from customers that have said, I want that thing that you're about to make. Credit for this, Alan Donegan from the Rebel Entrepreneur podcast, um, who's been the main mental figure in, in kind of my journey as an entrepreneur. Um, and to give some kind of contract examples of this, right? So like most people instinctively will go out and, they, you know, I want to start a new business and whether you're selling a product or the service, you know, they want to be like, right, well, let's, obviously if I'm going to sell a book, I need to write the book first. Mm. Or if I'm going to sell a bit of software, I need to go and like build the software so I've got something to show customers. And what sell your value before you create it says is, no, don't do any of that. The first thing you do is go and talk to a customer and say, look, what are you struggling with? Have a good listen. And then if it seems appropriate, suggest the kind of product or service you had in mind and say, well, look, this is what I'm thinking of building for you. What do you think? And if they go, you know what? That is exactly the solution to my painful problem. You go, great. It's £3,000, here's an order form. They go, thank you so much. Please, here's my order. Please go away and build this. And they come back and you're both very happy. There's so many examples of ways you can do this for all different kinds of business. And I'm very happy for you to, to sort of challenge me on that. But like so many entrepreneurs when they're starting out spend so much time and so much money building things that are either not quite what people want. And if they'd only talked to some customers properly first, they'd have found that out or are just like lemons and then nothing to do with what people wanted. And if, again, if they talked to the customers first, they'd have figured that out. I have been in the, my many years of working with startups, been told some ridiculous stuff. <laughs> so you go, oh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> but in your head, you're going, oh my God, no. Yeah. But, but I, th- I mean, you're absolutely right, William. I think sort of people sit there and they think, oh, wow, we've got, I've got this great idea. And you know, just because I have this problem, I've got a solution to solve that problem. It, everyone must have the same problem. And people just get so blinded by that. They don't do the blind, blinding the obvious. And that is go and ask a few other people how, well, in your how much you would pay to solve the problem. So, well, not just asking, would you buy? Like, it's very easy for a customer to, to you know, how much, it, it, how much would you pay for it? Oh, yeah, I paid £100. That sounds great. Yes, you should definitely do that. And not if you give them an order form. But then you look them in the crucial bit, is then you look them in the eye and go, great, here's an order form. Yeah, give me 100 quid. Yeah, because it's so, like, you know, Simon, here's my here's my cool new phone case design that I've just invented. Not, not interested. What do you? Oh well, you, you can't, you're not playing the game now. You're not my friend. Mostly when I show it to my friends, that they go, "William, amazing, they go, William. thank you, Pippa." They go, "That sounds amazing. Yeah, you should totally do that." But we know now what Pippa means when she goes, "Oh, that's amazing." Like, but that's then I look Pippa bullshit. in the eye and go, "Pippa, it's twenty quid." Do and you I want go, one? I'm going to write your shareholders' agreement for you for five grand. So yes, okay, I'll have one. As Simon knows, I've been spending all day on and off thinking about a startup idea that I have, and mostly 
I'm pretty sure what you do is try and come up with a name before you right. do anything else. <laughs> what's what's your idea? Are we allowed to know? Yeah, because I keep going on about it on the podcast. Uberella is its working title. Uber what? Uberella. Uberella. Not to be confused with Barbarella. There's an app on your phone. Yeah. An Uberella app on your phone. Yeah. You go out, it starts raining. You log into the app and find the nearest Uberella stand. Yeah. You go and key in your code and get an Uberella. Yeah. And it charges you for as long as you use the umbrella. Yeah. And then you put it back. Yeah. If you don't put it back, you get charged for the umbrella. Okay. But the umbrellas need to be like the equivalent of Boris bike umbrellas, like okay. really chunky, not great umbrellas, but they do the job. Okay. I don't know. I don't know how long this idea has been kicking around. It's been kicking mind, around a long time. Excepting she came back the other day from lunch, completely drenched, and then we spent uh, yeah, quite a bit soaking. of time talking about Twice it. Twice this week, <laughs> I've been soaked at lunchtime. I'm like, I need a new umbrella, and I need one now. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Clark got its start back in 1935 And while the world has changed a bit It's more than just survived From complying with the FCA And all things financy They can also speak fluently In the language of legalese Ori Clark was born and raised Right here in the UK And now for 20 years They've been helping others Get set up and on their way Ori Clark's door's always open and happy to provide straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle. You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. Higher tax or more philanthropy? The science of decision-making, as far as I remember, it suggests that people will vote, citizens will vote for leaders that will do kind of hard decisions that are in the long-term interest that they wouldn't necessarily do on a kind of collective or individual basis, which would kind of point you in the direction of higher tax if you want the hard decisions in the long-term interest to happen. The practical drawback with that, that the decision-making psychologists don't have much to say on, is the fact that, you know, election promises aren't always <coughs> uh, exactly seen through uh, very comprehensively. <laughs> really? Yeah, really. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It's a tricky one. <laughs> I would go to the extent of saying they're never seen through. But anyway. I mean, it is interesting that we seem to have less of a culture of philanthropy in the UK. Yeah. That's, you know, maybe that's simply because we have better, we have things like the NHS. No, but, but doesn't that stem from the fact that the universities and schools, so the, ter- the education institutions in the US, are incredibly good at sort of philanthropic stuff and getting their alumni to contribute? And I think universities and schools in the UK could learn a huge amount. And I'm sure, and they are, you know, things are changing. But I think it's a cultural thing that sort of starts at school and uni in the US. So. I mean, my, my kind of personal take on that. I mean, there was a long period, uh, you know, building up exam study, actually. You know, those first couple of years I was, I was talking about where you know, there wasn't really the, the cash to to do much philanthropic good, for sure. Um, you know, can just keep the roof over my head and all that. But, you know, as soon as the money started to come, I very quickly, what, what's my why? Like, what's the biggest story? Why do I want to grow this business? And for, for me, one of the reasons was, you know, I want the money to be able to to do good. So, you know, one of the things that we've done now for the last 18 months at least is 
we have quite a lot of revenue coming through the Stripe payment platform. They've got a great little function called Stripe Climate. You say, you know, X percent, I want to, of, of all my revenues that you, you process for me, put it into Stripe Climate. And they do fantastic work on kind of deep decarbonisation technology. And also it, you know, scales nicely with revenue. So as you earn more money, so does you know, the climate. How would you fix capitalism? Do you think it's broken is the first <laughs> well, question. Well, that's it. Yeah, I was just going to say. I don't know. Do you think it's broken? <laughs> well, I do, yes. But then... <laughs> in, what, in what ways is it broken? Uh, the rich keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poorer. Which doesn't really work for me. Okay. <laughs> so if we want to solve the problem of the poor getting poorer, like, I, think, I think actually entrepreneurship is, has a great potential to be a social... Leveller. It is open to anybody if they have the skills and they have the confidence to, to, to try it. Like, I haven't had any investment in my business at all. You know, entrepreneurship is, is open to everybody. And I, I get quite passionate about, you know, the idea that, you know, there are barriers to entry and, you know, you've got to have the connections and you've got to have this, you know, uh, you raise this amount of money or whatever to be an entrepreneur. You just really don't. Yeah, it's nice to see things where you don't need... You know, there aren't the barriers to exit or you don't, you know, to entry or you don't need a silver spoon in that. You know, I think that's something about Cambridge, apart from anywhere else. You know, my brother-in-law went to a um, state school where more people got done for GBH in the sixth form than went to university and went to Cambridge. You know, far more than Oxford, I think, has a, has a more kind of egalitarian spirit. And the same with entrepreneurship. It, anybody can do it, but it's teaching people that anybody can do it. I, and I, th- I was just going to say, I think that's the main lesson. It's like, it's making sure that everyone gets access to the information they need to understand or at least try and understand that anyone can do it. And you know, in the same way that we're perhaps not great at teaching our kids how to study smart, I don't think we're great at teaching them how to be entrepreneurs. You know, how to be entrepreneur, you know, government lesson number one, here's how to go and write a business plan or yeah. consider all your risks. And like, I think that's very appropriate for a certain type of business, but that's not the type of business that most people are... You, you don't need a business plan to go out and try your umbrella idea. You, I didn't need a business plan to go out and start saying to schools, like, I want to train your students now to revise. Like, should we do a workshop? It's, you know, it's an unnecessary... Like, I think it does more to put people off, actually. Um, it's of, just putting putting barriers in place. Yeah. It's just saying you have to you have to go about it in this particular way. And actually, you don't. Top three, well, it doesn't have to be top three for a start. <laughs> it can be just top. Reads or pods or music, depends what you're interested in. I'll do a podcast and two books. Okay. So the podcast, and this is one of my number one, like, all-time recommendations in any genre of life in anything, and is the podcast I referenced earlier. So Alan Donegan, the Rebel Entrepreneur podcast. It's outstanding um, if you are, particularly if you're an early-stage entrepreneur, either thinking about starting or just starting out. Principles like sell your value before you create it are just so important, I think, for people to understand and so poorly understood by most people. And I think the re- one of the reasons Alan is is so good at his stuff, he's a very humble guy as well, like really, really nice, nice guy. And, um, you know, I think one of the reasons he's so good at what he does is because what, where most people that teach entrepreneurship might have personally coached a few dozen entrepreneurs, maybe a few hundred if they've been doing it a lot. Like he's coached literally thousands um, via his, like his main business is, is, is the Rebel Business School. And they do exactly what we've just been saying is needed. They go around, they run these two-week courses for 
people from all walks of life. So they get nice middle-class people like me turning up and they'll have people you know, who are unemployed and don't know where the next meal's coming from turning up and they'll teach them all in the same room how to start a business for free. Sort of Robin Hood model, the money comes from local councils, or housing associations or corporate sponsorship. Um, and they've been doing this for years. They recently run a, won a Queen's Award for Enterprise for what they've been doing and they, they do it really, really well. So like I think, you know, if you're looking for an answer to all that kind of thing, they're doing a pretty good job in my book. Yeah, and the podcast that goes with it, the Rebel Entrepreneur Podcast. Um, you know, I'd listen to it most days, and I, I looked at my Spotify listening stats for last year, and I, I clocked about three thousand minutes <laughs> to, from that show alone. So it goes goes somewhere. So uh, yeah, Rebel Entrepreneur Podcast. Uh, the, the couple of books I was going to mention were the uh, Four Hour Work Week. Tim Ferriss is classic. I like the sound of that. Have you come, have you read it? No. Oh, Pepe, it's like four hour Pandora's box opens up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the sound of that. I would say it's not quite as cheesy as it sounds. It's it's there's a lot more meat in there. And the first time I read it, like most people, it sort of blew my mind somewhat. Um, I've reread it a couple of times at least since then. And each time I read it, I read it with fresh eyes and learn a heck of a lot more. The third thing I was going to recommend another book, Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. Uh, and I mentioned in year two, the big thing in year two for me was learning how to copyright and get uh, audience to kind of buy stuff and, and, and close the sale. Uh, that more than anything else was the, the kind of resource that started to get me good at that kind of thing. It's all about how you communicate with your audience and the sort of stories you tell. So these are great because they're properly practical books that are going to teach you something that's going to yeah, help yeah, you yeah. grow your business. Absolutely. And also really, you know, both um, for our work week and, and building a story around extremely readable and breeze through them. Okay, so this brings us to our favourite part of the show. Hey. The business versus bullshit quickfire round. Great. DQ the music. So this is where we reel off a list of key terms and all you have to do is tell us whether it's business or bullshit or not business if you prefer. Yeah, cool. So William, are you ready? Let's do it. Diversity quotas. I think it's good business. And I've seen the stats um, on, uh, you know, the, the fact that organisations with, so take gender equality, I've seen the stats on the organisations with gender equality right through the hierarchy, make better decisions, add more shareholder value. And I've also seen it up close and personal. You know, the, the, the meeting rooms I've been in that have a more equal gender balance tend to be better meeting. They tend to make better decisions than one that's dominated by by one gender or the other. Um, so, you know, I, I do agree with that. And I think, this, you know, the same would be said of, you know, people from different walks of life, different, um, you know, ethnic backgrounds, different sort of socioeconomic backgrounds. Yeah. Uh, stand-up meetings. Have you ever had a stand-up meeting? Apparently the concept is you stand up the whole way through and it makes it quicker. I said good business. Uh, again, like it seems like a pretty natural way to get stuff done quickly. Interestingly, I was talking when we were in the US, we were doing podcasts and somebody was saying that they have stand-up meetings. You know, every day they have a stand-up, stand-up meeting up in the diary. But it's like sit down. A standing stand-up. Because <laughs> it's on Zoom. So it's like everybody's sitting down. But it's called the stand-up meeting because it's short. It, it only works for one-on-one, but I actually love walking meetings as well. I think you, you, your brain just think is more calmer. You, you, you're more creative when you're walking. It's a, it's just it's always a better conversation when you have a walk. Mm. Caffeine. Yeah, good business. Why not? Fuel up. <laughs> Fuel up. Uh, Where bus- we go? Uh, meeting agendas. Yeah, good business. I think you need to know what you're doing. Like, send me the agenda in advance, and if I can answer it over email and save everybody a meeting, let's, let's save everybody a meeting. What about hour-long meetings? 
It's really interesting. So probably bad business because if you set this for an hour, it tends to take an hour, doesn't it? But also, how else do you manage people's schedules? So yeah, I can see that. Well, you can you can use Outlook in fifteen minute increments. Yeah, set it for forty five minutes, half an hour. Office dogs. What? That's a thing. <laughs> it is a thing. It's a it's a thing with quite a lot of riding on it in this particular podcast. I, 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 so feel free to I'm, say it's bad business. I'm not a great dog fan personally. Yeah. <laughs> nor, is, nor is Pippa, and I shall reserve my judgment. I'm a fan of dogs. So. Andy, uh, Andy, who also does this podcast, has a dog that quite often comes to the podcast. Right. Okay. So I always enjoy it when he gets told that it's bad business. Okay. <laughs> Office fish, maybe. Maybe carbon credits. I don't know what carbon credits are. It, it, it's when you you know you, you book a flight and then you you know sort of you feel a bit guilty your, about it, so you, then you flight. pay a bit of money to offset it, or you just go and plant a tree in your garden. I think, that based on my understanding of this, it's very easy to turn that into greenwashing. So it's very easy for a little a, a modest fee or a modest gesture, and I actually it needs to be a much bigger fee a lot of the time. Swearing in meetings. I know what you're going to say to this. Well, I used to see a lot more of it in, a, in kind of various corporate contexts. Mm. Some some businesses more than others. It was a really cultural thing. You know, we walk into some environments as a consultant, it would be quite common. Others, it wouldn't be common at all. Um, like in my current work of life, it's I, I, I don't because I, I'm a huge portion of my audience and clientele are children. Yeah. And it's even if I'm not talking to children, you know, I might be talking to their teachers or parents and I want them to carry, you know, maintain them, you know, trust in sort of me yeah. that I'm yeah. child friendly, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like outside of that context, no strong feelings. Uh, that may have been why I was a bad teacher, among other things. <laughs> <laughs> different times, different what times. Pub, what about pub lunches? First job I had, the best culture of... of I, Sky was pretty good as well, but like the first company I worked in, definitely the best culture of any office I've been. And a big part of that was that we all went for lunch at the same time. We didn't necessarily eat in the pub, but we'd often go out and kind of get something and bring it back. Or even if you brought your own thing in from home, you'd go and sort of prepare it. And we'd eat, all sit around a big meeting table and eat together. I think just that ritual of eating together and just having that conversation about how people are doing just builds team in, like, in the way that nothing else, mm. like, like all the yeah. kind of you know one-off team building activities in the world you can throw at it. But compared to sitting down every single day as yeah, as friends, really, and yeah. sharing sharing a meal. Um, B Corps. Come across B Corps? No. So B Corps are a thing in the US that have come out of the US, which is a kind of accreditation you get that says that your business is a business for good. So you have to, there are various criteria that you have to go through to say that you treat employees well and you think about the environment and you think about the wider world. Um, I mean, if it helps people do those things better, then that's cool. I kind of hope that, you know, people would do it anyway, but they don't, do they? So. <laughs> Non-disclosure agreements. In my world now, not good business. Like, come on, guys. Like, there is nothing unique about your idea. Everyone has ideas. I know. Get I over know. yourself. And let, let's just have a chat as grown-ups. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Unlimited holidays. Oh, I mean, I kind of do unlimited holidays for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, nice. I would say 
I'd say good business, but it does depend. Like it's possibly not going to work for certain roles. One of the things I really liked about Sky was, you know, they really they they treated their people like adults. Like we didn't have to put in for, you know, I need to go off to the dentist or like I'm late in because I'm taking the car. You just did it, and like they trusted that you'd do the job you were paid paid to do. Uh, LinkedIn, good business. I'd love to do more on LinkedIn. That's definitely one of the. Uh, untapped opportunities for me, I think, um, to, to to be more present on LinkedIn as well as Twitter. There's a lot of teachers on Twitter, um, and I should be be more present there. Uh, formal work clothes. I, I sometimes find, for me, I sometimes find work clothes quite helpful for even just when I'm on my own at home. I will have different <laughs> clothes. Right, like sometimes I'll have different clothes to help get into different mentalities. So I've got a certain shirt I use that I just love for for writing. I'm having a writing day. I'll put this shirt on. I just feel like a writer. It's like a blue linen shirt. I could <coughs> iron it quite well because it's linen. It sounds and, quite arty. Yeah. Like you could be knocking around St. Ives yeah. doing a painting of something. So this is where we give you 30 seconds to pitch your company, your book, your podcast, whatever you want. Sure. Off you go. Oh. I think a couple of places I'd suggest. The first being... If you are someone with exams coming up or you're the parent of someone with exams coming up, you can go to examstudyexpert.com forward slash yes and download a nice little summary of all my favorite ideas. Uh, Retrieval practice is on there, of course, uh, as well as uh, sort of half a dozen others. That's a really nice overview of of some stuff to get you started and and, and off to a good start straight away. Um, The other thing I wanted to mention is we're on a podcast now, so feel free to go look up the Exam Study Expert podcast. Just type it into your podcast search bar um it'll pop straight up um we have about you know, hundreds of thousands of listeners every year so you know do, do check it out so examstudyexpert.com forward slash yes for the cheat sheets or check out the podcast fantastic thank you william and there you have it that was this week's episode of business without bullshit and we'll be back with bwb extra on thursday 